We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 523 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Joining me today is the one and only Zach Jacobson. He is a writer for Packer Report, of course, a proud member of our Pack-A-Day podcast team. Zach, I'm not even going to introduce myself. I don't even know where to start. Holy hell, what a day the Packers win, clinch a bye. The 49ers win also by inches, literally. It has been an absolutely insane day. I don't know where to start, but I'm going to let you kick in and just take it from there. What did you make of this insane, crazy day of football? Wow. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I don't even know where to start. I mean, just the fact that the Packers barely scraped by by the skin of their teeth in Detroit obviously doesn't give people a lot of confidence going into January, but they did a lot of good things in that second half that kind of really just uplifts your confidence levels a little bit. Aaron Rodgers started hitting on some of his throws. He looked really sharp, and something I noticed, too, in this game, they were getting consistent pressure. They were in David Blas' face all game long. Um, I mean, on top of that... They secured that number two seed. They're guaranteed a home playoff game at Lambeau Field. I mean, it, it doesn't get better than that. Obviously, you hope for the one seed. You hope the playoffs will run through Green Bay. But, it, it, you know, life isn't perfect sometimes. But, my God, what a, what a day of football. What a, what a way that, that San Francisco-Seattle game ended. Yeah, it's certainly 
was uh, I tweeted out the edge of my seat was getting a little bit worn out today. Uh, that Packers game certainly was it, epic's the totally wrong word to describe it. It was something. Uh, it went down until the wire, and it was nerve wracking, and uh, there were a lot of nervous moments in that game. But they of course pull out the twenty three to twenty win, and then it looked kind of very similar game, Forty Nine ers Seahawks. And of course, I'm sure everyone listening knows that in order for Green Bay to get home field throughout the out the playoffs, they would have needed. Niners to lose that game to Seattle, and it looked like the 49ers were going to control that game. They were up 13 nothing or 14 nothing, 13 nothing, or 14 nothing uh, in that game early. Uh, it was 13 nothing actually, and uh, it looked like they were going to control that game. And then Seattle comes roaring back, and uh, they get the ball first and goal at the one yard line with what like 20 some seconds left. They spike the ball. And uh, they all of a sudden get the delay of game penalty, which bumps them back. And they do not get, you know, anything going the next two plays. And then on fourth down, uh, they complete the pass, which gets down literally to about the one-inch yard line. And they're tackled there. And, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, that was the end of the ball game. But uh, two incredible games. I think if you would have said that the the Packers were down 13-0 or 14-0 and the the 49ers were up 13-0 at the end of the day, uh, still getting the bye and, and picking up the win I think would would ultimately be a win but it was so close to being so much worse I guess things kind of evened out in the end no yeah I I agree and you know going back even further coming into this season if you were told that the Packers were going to secure a number two seed they were first of all they were going to secure the NFC North by Christmas Eve and then a week later secure the number two seed in the NFC and, and guarantee a home playoff game in the divisional round I mean with a first year rookie head coach I mean this season, as much of, of a roller coaster as it's been, as good and bad Aaron Rodgers has been, how great Aaron Jones has been for, you know, everything, this is probably just like the, the best possible scenario, one of the two best possible scenarios right now that the Packers could be in right now, entering January. And look, they didn't look great against Detroit, Sands that second half, obviously, like I mentioned, but they are, they're, they're riding a... A, a little a just a just wave of, of confidence. I mean, the defense is playing just lights out. Granted, they haven't faced you know the most dominating stretch of quarterbacks these last few weeks. You know, a few few rookie quarterbacks, a couple young guys, Kirk Cousins, who you know I don't even know what to make of him anymore. I mean, this defense is putting it together. They're they're not carrying this team, but they look really like that. That is the bulk of what this team is. For as ugly as they play, the defense is kind of shouldering the load. A couple guys on offense are just kind of really making up for the occasional, you know, mistake, the occasional shot, uh, shooting themselves in the foot, some of the missed throws that Aaron Rodgers, you know, had had in Detroit. I mean, this team, they're built to win, even if Aaron Rodgers plays poorly, uh, like he did for most of uh, he how he did in Detroit. They're built to kind of pick up the pieces, and I think that's what we've seen for a majority of, of of their 13 wins this season. That 13 and three record, a large part of it is because this team itself around Aaron Rodgers has performed above expectations, and it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. No, no, I think you're 100% correct, and uh, I noted a, a lot of those same takeaways. You know, first of all, from a defensive standpoint, that second half was absolutely dominant, and, and they really needed it to be because there were moments in that second half where Green Bay's offense still wasn't clicking. They were much better than they were in the first half, but uh, they also had some three and outs. They also had the interception. Uh, Green Bay had opportunities on offense, and they didn't always pay them off. 
defense was able to basically get the ball right back and get the offense back on the field. The the drives in the, the second half for Detroit, five plays, 17 yards with a punt, three plays, one yard punt, four plays, 38 yards, and, and which ended up in a 56-yard field goal. Uh, give credit to Matt Prater for, for hitting that thing real solid, and he, he had tons of distance on that one, uh, but still only a 38-yard four-play drive that ends in a very long and difficult field goal. Then it was five plays, five yards, and an interception, four plays, 23 yards, punt, three plays, five yards, punt, and that was it. That was the end of the, the second half for Detroit. In total, 24 plays, only 89 yards, a total of three points on the long field goal, and, of course, the big David Blau interception. The defense stepped up when they had to, very similarly with Aaron Rodgers. This was a very un-Aaron Rodgers-esque performance for a big portion of this game. Uh, you know, there have been games where he's maybe been a little bit off, but it was a lot of times maybe due to a variety of different factors, receivers not always getting open. And, and I'm sure there was some of that in this game as well that we'll break down in more detail throughout the week. But there were also a lot of plays where he did have players uh, that he could have connected with. I think one of the big ones was right before halftime where he had uh, Aaron Jones kind of streaking down the sideline and uh, really should have been able to hit him in stride for a touchdown and, and just overthrew it and it ended up being a field goal instead. But when Aaron, you know, when Aaron Rodgers needed to step up when the game was on the line, he absolutely did so. He came up with some clutch plays. Even the the, the last screen play, uh, screen play to Aaron Jones was uh, with a degree of difficulty as well. So uh, he came up with big plays when he needed to. And I, I think my last takeaway here from this game in total is I, I'm, I have no idea how to break down uh, this team anymore. You you look at some of the, the ancillary statistics and some of the advanced metrics, and you look at some of the, uh, you know, with the win-loss stats and everything else, and, and it doesn't always paint a pretty picture, and you watch a full game against a, a pretty hapless Detroit team over the course of the last couple months and uh, a pass defense that was brutal uh, during that stretch, and, and Green Bay doesn't look good for a huge majority of the game, but they come away with a win, and it's just something different every week that doesn't click, but it's something different every week that does happen that somehow results in 13 wins, and again, I noted this a couple weeks ago, that it factor is, whatever it is, I, I can't put my finger on it, I don't know what it is, I know there's strong leadership, I know this team is having fun, and I know those things and that camaraderie goes a long way, but it, 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 it has certainly taken them somewhere because they will go down this season with not having lost back-to-back games all year long, no, man, no matter what happens. And uh, I think it's a strong testament to just the will of this football team. And regardless of anything else, they know how to win, and, and kudos to them for doing that. You know, those, that Packers.com, they post those locker room videos of you know them celebrating and everything like that. Matt LaFleur, he said that this team is playing for each other. They're playing like they, they love each other. You know, they're getting closer as a team. And he said when they do that, they can do something special. And we've seen it this season. We've seen them do special things en route to this 13-3 and record. I, look, I mean, like, he's right. When they're playing for each other and, you know, that bond on the field goes well beyond, you know, just playing with the guy next to you and, and you know, whatever name or numbers on the back of your jersey, when they are buying into their roles like they have been, then this team, this team can go far. And... Like I said, the third team win speaks for itself. They've been getting contributions from a bunch of different guys. They've been finding ways to win, and that's really you know what it comes down to. This team doesn't have an identity, or, or, or that was the conversation, at least throughout the season, what their identity was. 
but I think we figured out what it was. It's the fact that they're winning ugly. And for, for this team, ugly is pretty. It's getting the job done. They're doing what they have to do week in and week out on a consistent basis. They're getting contributions from guys, just, just random guys on offense. I mean, Dexter Williams in place of Jamal Williams in Detroit. He he ran hard. He had a couple really nice runs. And, I mean, it was like the fourth game this season that he has been active in. He's mostly just been, been a special teams guy whenever he is active. So the fact that he stepped in, he ran as hard as he did. He did some nice things. Alan Lazard just kind of came out of nowhere in, in, in the summer you know, made his way onto the roster during the season. I mean, it's just all across the board, the Packers are getting guys to buy into their roles, and it's working. Yeah, you're 100% correct, and that's uh, I think that's one of the big things, and Aaron Rodgers has, has said that in press conferences all year long, is that he really appreciates the roles that, that players have within this offense, and he really pointed to Mercedes Lewis when he said that, is you know, he really was able to develop a, a strong role within this offense. Everyone has uh, their thing that they're contributing, and I think we saw that a lot today. Alan Lazard's another great example of that, and he came up with a couple big plays. Let's, let's kind of transition on that note to the offense's uh, performance today, and it was obviously very Jekyll and Hyde. There were a lot of ups and downs. It was another incomplete performance uh, for a vast majority of it, but we did see some of those performances, like you mentioned, of guys stepping up, and I thought a big one in this game was Jared Valdez. goes down with a concussion, and we've seen... You know, not only this year with with Alex Light stepping in that spot, but over the course of the last couple of years, uh, most teams, to be fair, don't have uh, a, a lot of teams don't have good starting tackles, much less a guy that can come in and be a good swing tackle. Uh, but finding Jared Valdir off of waivers this late in the season and being able to plug him in, he looked absolutely uh, for nothing short of incredible for a guy that was playing in his first game, coming in cold and being put in that situation where Green Bay could afford no mistakes. You look at the touchdown to Alan Lazard, and Valdir got basically jarred immediately, and Valdir had the presence of mind to basically reset almost midair, get his feet under him, rebalance, and completely stymie the pass rush so that Rodgers had the opportunity to get that ball away, and Lazard could come down with the touchdown. It's little plays like that where if that's probably Alex Light, who I think is a really nice developmental player and I hope still has a bright future, but has not played well when he's been given that opportunity, uh, I'm not sure Green Bay wins this game with a, a full half plus of Alex Light at right tackle when they're down by 14 points uh, at half. I don't think that happens. So I thought that was a huge step up performance. Um, another thing that I noted is I thought Aaron Jones, uh, for all the great that he did in this game, I thought one of the things that maybe flew under the radar was how much better he was at blitz pickup this week. He had a, the last couple weeks, he's uh, had a little bit of an issue with it. I thought he was really good. He did miss one uh, corner blitz that he picked up really, really late, but through the rest of the game, he played really well in that regards. Um, so yeah, those were a couple of the things that really stood out to me, but uh, I'm curious your take on, on kind of some of the things on offense that stood out to you. I, I really like that you, you noted Jared Veldier because this is what the Packers brought him in for. It was, I believe it was right after the, the San Francisco game and Brian Bulaga had, uh, you know, had a little nick during the game and Alex Light had to step in for uh, most of the game. I believe it was you know, a huge portion of the snaps because that injury happened early in the game. And not long after that, I believe it was when they went after Veldier and, you know, they began the whole process of kind of easing him back into the league and, you know, getting him through the process of, of coming back from retirement. But this is why they, they brought him aboard for this late season stretch, a little more insurance at tackle. For instances like this, your 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 starting right tackle, who as good as Brian Bulaga has been this season, I think he's been 
you know, him and Elton Jenkins, the two best guys on this offensive line this season, you don't know when those injuries are going to start creeping up again. And that, ha- you know, it happened today. It's truly unfortunate, obviously, that, you know, with a with concussion, it's something you don't want to see ever, especially with a guy like Brian Bulaga and how solid he's been. But you have to have that insurance. And that's what Jared Belder brings. He's that, that experienced backup tackle, that, that swing guy who's going to be able to step in and play snaps in a game like this. Uh, hopefully not in a game in, in January, obviously, but you know you obviously want Brian, Brian Belaga there. But um, yeah, you know I really like that that you noted his performance because that did kind of also fly under the radar. Um, and another thing I noticed, you know, when they got going in the second half, I know my team kind of did that. You know, the whole show we've been doing so far is kind of confidence. You know how this team is playing with confidence. Aaron Rodgers, the last two weeks, he's been playing with so much confidence and, and just not just the players around him, but in some of his throws. Like, he is stepping up, and he, he's, like, ripping some some of these footballs. I mean, last year, uh, last week in Minnesota, excuse me, I noticed, you know, well, I noted as it was happening, he didn't look right. He just, he, some of the throws he was making, I just wasn't a big fan of. He just looked really sloppy. He was missing guys. Then, obviously, like, throughout the week, I kind of reevaluated that he was stepping into his throws and he was just making some of the most confident throws that I have seen him make all season long. And that was kind of the same thing in Detroit, especially in that second half. You know, and a lot of the deep balls, too, he was just heaving down the field. I mean, that was like effort mode, Aaron Rodgers. Like, he was just, he, he was going off. Obviously, the stat line the last two weeks doesn't really reflect that, but I really like what Aaron Rodgers has done these last couple of weeks. Yeah. He had a bunch of missed throws in Detroit. He kind of overled some guys. The the throw you referenced to Aaron Jones right before halftime, kind of just if he lofted a little a little more, that would have been a touchdown. But he kind of put a little too much too much mustard on it, so it kind of sailed out of the uh, right out of his reach. But yeah, a lot of the throws that he's been making have been just kind of like wow, this this guy is <laughs> this guy's ready for January. Yeah, I like the fact that he was ripping it, and I think that was a really huge thing uh, against Minnesota as well, as he was stepping into those throws with confidence, and uh, he was playing within the structure of the offense. And I think you saw a lot of that today as well, even though some of the results weren't there. And I think that is a, a positive takeaway, is that he's willing to kind of step in some of those throws, give his receivers a chance, hopefully hit them in rhythm. At the same token, of course, it becomes in, you know incredibly important when you're doing that, that you know some of the accuracy is there as well. And I think that, of course, was missing it, especially through the first half uh, and maybe through the, you know, a little bit of the start of the second half. And then it, it almost seemed like the adjustment was that they were going to take a lot more of the underneath stuff and, and not try to attack so much more downfield. And I, I think a lot of quarterbacks, Brett Favre was one that was, uh, you know, 1A for this. But I think it, it, even for Aaron Rodgers, you know, he started, what, like one of nine, one of eight, you know, something like that, just a, a really cold streak to start the game. I think it's so important for quarterbacks to hit just on a couple of those really easy rhythm throws, a couple layups to kind of get your, your day going. And I think when that happens, you can kind of get in that rhythm and start hitting some of those medium and, and deep throws. I think when you start attacking downfield kind of from the get-go, it can kind of put you – 
under pressure a little bit, and I think it can kind of uh, almost mess with your rhythm, and especially if you don't see the results and you do go one of eight, one of nine, whatever it was to start the game. So uh, I think in the second half they made that adjustment. They tried to get Aaron some of those quick rhythm throws to try to get him going a little bit, and I think the results after that were uh, were much better. Of course, you had the beautiful throw to Devontae Adams in the quarter in the end zone. That route was absolutely ridiculous by Devontae. Uh, you had the beautiful throw to Lazard, and then it was just kind of the little things too, like I mentioned on the screen pass to Aaron Jones. He had to kind of contort himself. There was just a little, uh, like maybe like five or six yard throw to Tyler Irvin where he kind of rolled out to his left and there was the tiniest window just to complete this little five or six yard pass and he kind of threw it a little bit sidearmed across his body and uh, fit it into a tight window. You started seeing those things after he got in that rhythm and it was a night and day difference between the first half and the second half. So I think it's really great that they made those adjustments. I think it's great that he made those plays within the rhythm of the offense and that you started seeing uh, the adjustments, but I, I also do think that it's important that they start getting that going a little bit early, and I think that's still the Achilles heel of this team at the moment is we have yet to see through a 16-game season this offense stay consistent for four quarters. The good news is they went 13-3 and three without doing that. Imagine what they can do if they do get consistent on offense, but that, that to me is still the Achilles heel at this point. Yeah, and you can make that same argument as far as, you know, the, the layup throws. You can make that same argument for the wide receiver position. You know, get get a couple sure. easy intermediate throws to some guys, kind of get them in space, get them comfortable with the football, get them comfortable, in, you know, with themselves, with what they're seeing on the field, with running, you know, all of that. So, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, yeah, they went 13-3 and three winning this way, but it is an entirely different ball game in January. And Aaron Rodgers, he, he has to be better. I mean, a career-high 28 incompletions in, in Detroit on Sunday. I mean, that's – look, I get the game goes a certain way. and You know, you kind of you can't help certain things. And Aaron Rodgers, he's still getting trust with his guys. And, you know, he had receivers kind of rotating in and out of the lineup. And that's kind of been the theme all season long. They, they're rotating packages, getting a bunch of different formations, guys on the field. But Aaron Rodgers, he has to be better. You know, for as much as I did praise him for stepping into those throws and just ripping it, he does have to be more consistent – as does the entirety of this offense. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, the defense is, is kind of making up a bulk of this team's success right now with their consistent pressure, just, you know, being able to get in the face of, of, of opposing quarterbacks. That's made up, you know, a large part of the secondary success, a large part of the, the, the uh, defensive front success. And Aaron Rodgers hasn't really had to be Superman. You know, we don't know if he's going to have to be Superman in the playoffs or not. And if he does, will he be able to? You know, it's just kind of really... You know, up in the air at this point, what Aaron Rodgers is going to become January, and it also it is also worth noting too. It's year one in the Fleur's, you know, in the Fleur's system and everything, and you know he's still getting acclimated. All these guys are still getting acclimated, but for for as much as we're seeing him struggle and his offense struggle, like I said, these last two weeks he is beginning to trust guys more. It, you know, it, it would seem that way. I know that, you know, one of the throws that he made to Alan Lazar today, not the touchdown, it was about six and a half minutes left in the third quarter. They were down 17-3, to three, and they absolutely needed to convert. I believe it was third down. Rodgers was rolling right, and he, yeah, he, he zipped an absolute dart to Alan Lazar along that right sideline. Somehow, like, it, it went through the defender's arms, and Lazar kind of stuck it right there, right, right in the bottom of his face mask, and he hung on. And, you know, I thought that was, like, to me, I think that was the play of the game. Because if they don't convert that, they're probably punting it back to Detroit. They're already down two touchdowns. That was huge. And that throw 
Like, that has some zip on it. For Lazaro, this undrafted kid to, to come down with that, who this undrafted kid who played himself into a, a number two wide receiver role opposite Devontae Adams, to catch that, like, that, that was just insane. That was my play of the game, personally. But, yeah, we're seeing Rodgers starting to trust guys more, and that's a prime example right there. Yeah, I love how that Alan Lazard touchdown echoed one of the plays that he made in preseason, almost identical post play in the end zone, yep. went up, skied for a touchdown. Uh, the work that he, and it's just, it's a great, great, great story for Alan Lazard. The work that he put in in preseason, and I know it didn't immediately pay off where he, he made the 53 out of camp, uh, but that work that he put in got him on the practice squad, eventually moved up in the roster, and as soon as he got his opportunity on the field with Rodgers, he made the most of it, and he has unequivocally been the number two receiver ever since then and uh, has certainly played as such. Came up, like you said, with the big first down. Came up with some big first downs last week as well against Minnesota and uh, could not be more impressed with the way he's playing. And uh, again, as it's been noted and as it should be noted, uh, he's really been phenomenal as a blocker as well. So he's been really one of the really cool stories of this season. Uh, let's kind of jump over to the defensive side of the ball. A lot of takeaways here as well. We mentioned uh, already that they, they really kind of dominated in the second half um, I thought one of the, the really key plays, and this is uh, maybe some low-hanging fruit here, but uh, the interception by Blake Martinez was such yep. a, a game-changing play. Uh, it would have been – I don't want to take anything away from the, the Packers defensively in saying that this wasn't a, a good play or anything like that because it certainly was, and Zadarius got some immediate pressure on the play, but – that was an absolutely brutal throw by David Blau. Uh, Z had some immediate pressure, but they were able to basically stymie it, and, and Z was a couple yards behind the, the throw when, when David Blau made it, and he just he looked like he tried to throw it deep, and the ball just either came out awful or he didn't have the arm strength or something because the ball looked like it was intended. I think it was for Adrian Amos, and Blake Martinez intercepted it before Adrian Amos could get to it. So uh, there was not a Lion player close to making the play. There were two Packers right there. Martinez comes up with a big play. Not only did they get the big interception return, but then Amendola has the personal foul, uh, and uh, they get an additional 15 yards added on. Before that play... There was a, I think it was a sack by Zadarius Smith, or there was a, or excuse me, by Blake Martinez. Z had the initial pressure, and Martinez had the sack right before the the Martinez interception. Um, before that play, that was Lions up seven uh, with first and ten in Green Bay territory, and that was just such a, a game changing series of events. The sack by Martinez, the pick by Martinez, the return, the personal foul, and, and it just totally changed the game. So I know, like, like I said, it's a little bit low hanging fruit. Uh, it was. Obviously, uh, anyone could have seen a major turning point in that game, but it certainly bears mentioning it, just how important that was when that happened. And it was great for my brand, too. Yes, it was. Yeah, it, Martinez is actually my player of the game. I mean, he, like, I know you'll, you'll, you probably noticed this when you're, you, you were watching it today. You'll probably notice it throughout the week when you're doing your grades. He was like, living in the Lions backfield. He was getting pressure like all game long. There were multiple plays where he was just shooting through gaps created by, by, by the Packers defensive line and he was taking advantage of those gaps. He was getting David Blau's face. He uh you know, like you mentioned the the third interception of his career. He led the team in tackles. Obviously that's, that's apparently a weekly thing at this point. He had, you know, the sack, he had a tackle for a loss, had a QB hit, uh even defended a pass. I mean he Martinez was my player of the game, and I think this is like the first time I've ever been able to say that, especially a lot, uh, you know, on the air like this. So, and um, yeah, and I know Twitter won't want to admit that, but Martinez, he he had a hell of a day, and he's playing these last two weeks, especially. I know he did some good things in Minnesota last week as well, but 
in Minnesota and Detroit, Martinez, he's playing like a guy who wants to get paid this offseason. I don't know if it's going to be by the Packers. So that should, uh, that should be an interesting storyline to follow. Yeah, that's that's going to be a huge player to to keep an eye on in the off season. I've been I've been pretty stout with my my uh, analysis of, or I guess pretty steady with my analysis of Blake Martinez um, throughout the last couple of years. I'm not uh, you know I'm not a huge Blake Martinez guy, but I, I certainly kind of follow fall somewhere in the middle between the two camps. And there's a lot of people that that see the the Blake Martinez tackle totals and say you know he's one of the best linebackers in the league and he should be making. Pro Bowls and things like that, and I certainly think that he's he's well below that level. There's also people that say he's one of the worst linebackers in the league, and Green Bay should move on, and there, there's no place for a Blake Martinez on this team. And I'm not in that camp in any way, shape, or form either. I, I think Blake Martinez and this this Packers defense is is better when Blake Martinez is on the field. He's of course the quarterback of that defense. He's the one that's getting everything organized. Um, I also think he's. Well, maybe at times a little bit too safe and a little bit too passive. I think he's also very safe to to not a fault either. I think it's it's a good thing you see very few plays in the middle of that defense that that get by him for big gains. He he's a very safe player in that regards. And uh, I think today you saw him be more aggressive um, from from a game plan standpoint. It was you know it was obvious that they were looking to blitz him up that a gap, uh, try to get him more involved. And then of course one of the things that I've noted as well that he does very well is getting the deep center of the field in those cover two type scenarios. He does it insanely well, especially for a player that's not always the most fleet of foot. I've seen him on multiple occasions carry wide receivers up the center of the field. Uh, he did it on that specific interception. It didn't really matter because there wasn't anyone really to hang with, and then Blau immediately just threw him the pass. But uh, that's been something that he's been really good at. Um, and through the last four games, and I think this will probably be the fifth game in a row because I also noted that uh, this was a really strong game for him on, on both my initial watch and my rewatch, I think uh, he's going to have his fifth game in a row where he's graded in the positive for me. And it hasn't been huge positive grades, but it's been positive grades nonetheless. So uh, I think he he's always going to have limitations. He's not the fleetest of foot. He's not a sideline to sideline guy. He's also not a thumper. He struggled. If, if, if Kenny Clark's playing down, and this has been really a, a big thing for Martinez through this course of the year. When when Kenny Clark hit his poor streak, where he wasn't able to consistently dominate up front and eat some of those double teams, and, and offensive linemen were getting to the second level, and you ended up with 300 you know pound offensive linemen up on Martinez, and uh, whether it was Ibrahim Campbell or Oren Burks or Raven Green, whoever it may have been, uh, that's when the defense really struggled. That's when Martinez really struggled. But when Clark is playing amazing and he's keeping Martinez a lot more clean, uh, Martinez has had a lot bigger impact, and he can kind of do what he wants to do, and that's how he gets you know so many of those tackles as well. So. Blake Martinez is a good player, and if he's your you know ninth, tenth, or eleventh best player on defense, you're in a really good spot, which is really what we've seen over the course of the last couple months. Um, I think you know you look back to last year where all of a sudden he's maybe your fifth or sixth best defender. Um, I think you're in probably a lot of trouble if that's the case. But uh, I do think he's going to be a very interesting case study come this off season on on whether or not they stick with him. The big thing, of course, is they don't exactly have a replacement for him at linebacker lined up. It certainly does not look like Oren Burks is ready to take on that mantle quite yet. And, and B.J. Goodson's been a nice player, but he's not a, a three-down player, four-down player, however you want to view it. So that's going to be a very interesting offseason discussion. But 
Uh, more importantly, today, really big game for Blake Martinez. Had the sack, had the interception, uh, led the team in tackles, like you said, and, and certainly was a difference maker in this game. I could tell you reiterated that Martinez analysis at least eight times in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it's, it's come up quite a bit, and uh, like I said, I just think it because there's always nuance there, you know, and, and there's everyone wants to have their extreme taker. Either he's he's dominant, or either he's not very good, and he shouldn't be on the field. And I just think uh, it's it's not quite that easy, especially when you consider Green Bay doesn't exactly have a a great replacement for him on the bench. I, you know, I, I agree. I mean, if you want to replace Martinez, obviously, yeah, fine, cool. But, I mean, there's a chance they can go, you know, go with that round of free agency, kind of find a replacement for a lot less cheap, uh, a lot lot less money. I, I do want to say, too, I feel like Martinez is, he's more formidable of, of an inside linebacker when he has someone also formidable playing next to him. I mean, this year, when the Packers are given you know those hybrid nickel looks that you know they, that Mike Pettin loves rolling out, when they didn't have Raven Green or Ibrahim Campbell for uh, several games, I don't remember. I think it was like seven games. They were one of the, the league's worst run defense. Like you, I, I know you remember for right around mid-season, we were all talking about you know <laughs> the Packers was like one of the worst run defenses in football. They were you know we were, we weren't sure who was going to run who every week. I mean Josh Jacobs had a big day. Uh, um, when the Packers played the Raiders at Lambeau. But when Campbell came back, those five games, they kind of transformed. Like, they were able to... Mike Pettin was allowed to roll out, like, a lot more com- uh, complex looks. He was allowed to do a lot more. He had more versatility with as far as uh, the guys he was kind of bringing in them to the lineup. So, I think in, in those five games, they were, like, 22nd in rushing yards allowed. They were 28th in, you know, in, in rushing attempts against their defense. Like, you know, teams didn't want to really run the ball against the Packers in that span. And, that, you know, that kind of... Campbell returning and just pairing Martinez with somebody who is able to kind of crash down and help him stuff the run. It's not all Martinez. And it's just, I think when you pair him with someone who who is good at what they do, as opposed to, you know, putting, no offense to B.J. Goodson, obviously. B.J. Goodson, you know, when they want to play big against the run, he's he's obviously the best option there. Uh, and, and Oren Burks, I, I don't know what to make of him at this point, but... Yeah, when he has somebody there to kind of assist him, I just think he's a lot better of a player, and I think he is worth keeping around, obviously, depending on the price. You know, that's really what it's going to boil down to. But, you know, as you and I both know, the Packers aren't really going to have any financial limitations this offseason. So, yeah, I, I, I think you keep Martinez, but that's just that's me. Yeah, it'll be an interesting off-season story, and uh, I do think there's something to that when when he's playing with a competent partner that he looks a little bit better. I do think a lot of it is again, you know, kind of paired to how Kenny Clark is playing ahead of him. But uh, make no mistake about it, too. Uh, Mike Pettin puts uh, those, you know, three down linemen, and you know Blake Martinez and whoever it is, usually Ibrahim Campbell lately playing next to him. Uh, he puts a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on those five interior players. Sometimes four interior players. A lot of times it's Clark and Lowry or Clark and Lancaster, Clark and one other player inside uh, with maybe Martinez and Ibrahim Campbell playing right before, you know, n- right next to him, I should say. And uh, th- they're daring teams to run the football. And uh, it, again, it puts a lot of pressure on those those front guys. And, um, you know, he's willing to give up some yardage in the run game to, to make sure that they're not getting uh, some really bad mismatches in the passing game. So uh, the pressure is on them. And, and for the most part, they've held up all right. And uh, they're going to get beat sometimes with 
some eight or nine yard runs. And uh, you have to pick your poison when you're a defensive coordinator and what you want to beat you. And uh, they're much more willing, and I think it's the right call to say, hey, you know, you have to run on us. You're going to have to run right at Kenny Clark up the middle. And, and Zadarius Smith has been seeing a lot more run blitzes up the middle. You're going to have to run right at those guys. Um, and you're, you're probably going to break a few runs. We saw that from Carrion Johnson today. Uh, we saw that from the Lions as a whole today. They were able to break some runs up the middle, but they really feel like if you, you, you can have those yards here and there, but you're not going to beat us passing the football. And that's really where they've kind of made their money. And I think that's why, you know, Blake Martinez, even with all this, you know, the stats that he has, it may not always look the best, but that's because he's not always put in a lot of super, you know, uh, amazing situations as well. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, a couple other things that I did notice from this game defensively, I thought Kyler Fackrell uh, had a couple really nice pass rushes that kind of flew under the radar. Uh, he forced another holding penalty. He had another nice pressure off of a spin move. And I think quietly he's really been playing a, a nice couple games as a, uh, you know, rotational defender behind the Smiths. I thought Darnell Savage made a, a couple really tough plays. Uh, I guess tough plays is the wrong way to put it. He, he would like to have a couple plays back um, in, the, in the run game where he kind of made some uh, bad ang- took some bad angles or, or didn't wrap up on the, on the play and, and missed some tackles. He also had a, a tackle behind the line of scrimmage and had another play where uh, could have went for much more yards if, uh, if he didn't wrap up and he was able to get the, the running back down. So uh, up and down from Savage, but there were certainly some missed tackles on tape. Um, and then uh, the other a couple things that I noted, the big run before half was just such a backbreaker at the time. That was like a 30, 40-yard run uh, right before half that yeah. Detroit was willing to just take a five-yard run and, and go to halftime. And to allow basically like a 40-yard run there to set up the field goal was, was really, really tough. Um, so that was a brutal play, and that was really kind of the, the last bad play by the defense before they really turned it around in the second half. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll say is, it's not often that you can say that there was a really good pass interference penalty, but Jair Alexander had one of the best pass interference penalties that you will ever see because I legitimately think that that was a touchdown and he kind of tripped on the play, stumbled, and you know you're, you don't want to give too much credit for to a guy for for getting beat on a play and having to basically tackle him so he doesn't score a touchdown. But it was just pure awareness. You know he he knew that he was beat. He knew that if his guy catches the ball on that play, that it's a potential touchdown. There is no safety behind him on that play. It is one on one, and the wherewithal by Jair just to basically grab him and make sure that that's a 25, 30 yard pass interference penalty instead of a 70, 80 yard ish touchdown. Uh, it really was a massive game changer in, the, in this game. So, it, like I said, it's not not often you get to praise the pass interference penalty. This is one where I'm going to absolutely praise Jair for having the wherewithal to make that play. That's that's a veteran move. That's a it veteran is. quarterback move right there. Yeah, and that's you know this this kid in his second season, you know, you know, wants to be an All Pro. That's not really an All Pro play. You know, you, you got beat and everything, but that's like. That's keen awareness. You either give up the huge touchdown, the points, like you said, or you, you surrender, you know, a big chunk of yardage, give them the ball right around midfield, and you know, hand it over to your defense, see what they can do. So that was that really was a huge play. And to your earlier point too about you know, Todd Johnson and that four-yard run right before halftime, and the Packers they struggled against the running game in Detroit. Ty Johnson, Carryon Johnson, both Scarborough they combined for I believe it was 160 yards between the three of them. They had like a three-headed monster at running back. And granted, the Packers defense kind of made them look a lot better than they are, but not really a promising sight to see. Uh, you know, going into the playoffs, but. 
for a large part of this late season stretch, the Packers' run defense has been very solid. So I would like to think that Sunday was in an uh, in anomaly, but yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the most impressive performance against those guys. No, it wasn't, and it's something that they'll have uh, two weeks to kind of get cleaned up, and we'll kind of go over some potential opponents in, in just a little bit. But uh, whether it's Dalvin Cook or whether it's Alvin Kamara or whether it's Philadelphia who uh, carved them up in the running game earlier this week and what was it, week four, uh, they're going to have their work cut out from uh, from a run defense standpoint. So uh, that's definitely something that they're going to have to work on. Um, from a special team standpoint, not not a ton to, to take away here. Tyler Irvin had a really nice kick return. Uh, the field goals by Mason Crosby. He did have the miss, but of course the clutch kicks, both the extra point to tie the game as well as the field goal to win the game, I think is probably the big takeaway here. Um, no no real major issues. I thought J.K. Scott punted really well, had a couple uh, that he downed you know, inside the 20, which was nice. But any anything that you saw from a special team standpoint that stood out? Well, you, you mentioned it, J.K. Scott. He pinned two inside the 20, had about a 44.2 average. Granted, he was punting a couple times on a, you know, a short field, so yeah, you know, J.K. J. Scott, he had a solid day. He's been just very good all season. Stands like, you know, a little a little two or three game stretch, I think, where he had struggles early on in September and October. But, yeah, and, and Tyler Irvin, that, that 16-yard return that kind of gave the Packers a little bit of energy. I mean, he, he has been a godsend for, for the special teams unit. You know, we saw how bad they were throughout the season and negative return yards. Uh, they were en route to, sh- uh, to breaking a record. <laughs> the fewest punt return, punt return yards in a season, and they were still winning games. Like that's just that's, that's the crazy part. And as you mentioned as well, Mason Crosby coming back went three or four. He you know hit both of his extra points, and you know after going one for one for five in Detroit last year to come back hit a game winner against Detroit earlier this year, hit the game winner in Detroit on Sunday. I mean like that is the the most that is one of the most just mentally strong guys on this team. And, you know, when his contract is up, I, I believe he's a free agent after the season, right? He is. Yeah, then you got it. Look, and we know how rare good kickers are in this league. You see it with the Bears, the, you know, everything the Cowboys went through with their kicking situation and, that, you know, after getting rid of Dan Bailey. Like, good kickers are a dime a dozen in this league nowadays. So you need to kind of keep those guys in-house when you have them. And Mason Crosby, I mean, he, he beat out Dave Rayner over a decade ago, he beat out Giorgio Tavecchio. He beat out Sam Ficken. I mean, every challenge, every trial and tribulation that has come his way, and his family especially, I, I want to point out. Like, just that's just crazy. I, he, that guy is one of my favorite players in this team. Yeah, he's he's had an absolutely phenomenal season. And going back to Tyler Irvin, we've now mentioned Alan Lazard, Jared Valdir, Tyler Irvin. Uh, Alan Lazard practice squad snipe last year last year from the Jaguars that Goot picked up. Jared Valdir late season waiver claim. Tyler Irvin uh, mid season uh, pickup. Uh, you know basically off the scrap heap. Those are moves. You know Gutekunst absolutely deserves all the credit in the world for you know the Jair Alexander yeah. and the Darnell Savage and the Elton Jenkins and Darius Smith, Preston Smith. All those guys, Billy Turner, Adrian Amos, those are the the big splash free agent signings. But where is Green Bay in this game 
without some of the performances from Tyler Irvin, Jared Valdir, Alan Lazard, those type of guys that you have to find, that you have to make, uh, you know, do with at times, those were big performances today, and a ton of credit should go to Brian Gutekunst for, for finding those guys where he did, because those are basically scrap heap pickups, and they played major minutes and made a major impact in this game, offense, defense, and special teams, uh, just just a, a really epic performance by some guys that he found uh, kind of on the scrap heap there. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers mentioned that during the week too, I, you know, the, the the addition of you know and especially like reconstructing Dean Lowry I believe Roger said you know getting getting his contract done out of the way and keeping him in house and he has had a phenomenal season he had, he had the interception last week I think and you know bringing back Mercedes Lewis who Rogers credited with just being a huge part of the Packers running game and a huge part of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams success and he said they will be the first ones to tell you that it's those things like the signings you mentioned. Reconstructing uh, or reconstructing, extending Dean Lowry. I don't know why I kept saying reconstructing, but keeping Dean Lowry in house, bringing back Mercedes Lewis for another year. It's those things that Brian Gutekunst has done that have just made a huge difference for this football team. And it's those guys. It, it ties into the whole embracing your role thing. Like Mercedes Lewis, he's not tight end one. He's not the starter there, but he he has a role, and that's just as this dynamic run blocker. Even at his age, still getting the job done. Dean Lowry, the, you know, up and coming defensive end who is just, just batting passes left and right at you know at the line of scrimmage. He is just he is getting sticking his nose into traffic in the running game. Like he, Dean Lowry, he has had a very good season. It's things like that that win you GM of the year awards or executive of the year, whatever, whatever the hell they go by. But you get the point. Brian Gutekunst yeah. has just been a you know. A huge factor in this team's success and in what he's done, and that's not even that's not even going as far back as free agency and getting the Smiths and Adrian Amos and Billy Turner. You know, that's 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 a whole other story. Yeah, he's he's been an absolute machine, and he should absolutely be in the, the discussion for executive of the year, no questions asked. Uh, you mentioned earlier player of the game, Blake Martinez. Um, anyone else that you wanted to note uh, for that award? Blake or, Martinez. I said player of the game. I, I may have said player of the year, but player of the game. Excuse me. <laughs> Player of the year, Blake Martinez. Player of the game, Blake Martinez. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, he had a phenomenal game today. I'm not sure I could go quite as far as player of the year, but uh, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I had Blake Martinez on my list as well. I had Aaron Jones also. This, you know, you look at the stats from Aaron Jones. You know, 100 yards rushing. He he didn't get the the tying touchdown, the the 20th touchdown on the year, uh, but had another you know a big day receiving. I thought the the play at the end of the game on the screen pass was just epic, Aaron Jones. And I just thought there were a couple other plays that he made that uh, you know that Aaron Aaron uh, Rodgers just missed uh, again the right before half the the touchdown that was right there. Um, I, I think this could have been even a bigger day for. Aaron Jones. I think he did his job picking up the blitzes, getting open downfield, uh, doing everything that he needed to do in the running game and the screen game. Uh, it's just a, another huge performance from Aaron Jones. Again, the, the stat sheet may not look completely epic, but I thought that he certainly was in that conversation for player of the game right along with Blake Martinez. And then one other player that, again, we've talked about already, but just Jared Aldier, just stepping up in that moment first game of the year, first game in a very long time to play at that level and, and come in and, and play some serious minutes, I thought absolutely deserved uh, some honors as well. So those were certainly the three players that were on my list today. Yeah, you mentioned Aaron Jones and, and his, his stash sheet obviously not looking too great, but you're right. He did do some nice things in the passing game. He got open on some routes. He did put together his uh, fifth 100-yard game of the season. So that's that. You know, that's a little 
a little nice part of his stat line. Granted, it was on 25 carries. He was you know, barely averaging four yards a touch. But, I mean, you know, whatever. We'll take our, our wins we can get it. You know, yeah, he, he he did some good, some really good things out there. And if you know, like you mentioned, if he if he and Rogers connect on that touchdown, in the you know going into the end zone on the right sideline right before half, I mean that's that changes the whole course of the game, and obviously it makes the stat line look a lot better. So that's that's always a a positive. But yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I mentioned Dexter Williams earlier as well. He only had a couple carries, but he he ran hard. He did some nice things out there. Um, I mean, the Packers didn't really have a choice but to play him. Obviously, Jamal Williams was out. Um, but yeah, that that was that was kind of uh, my guy that kind of stepped in in the backfield, not really in the face of adversity or anything like that. There's nothing really you know heroic about it. But he stepped in, and I like I like how hard he ran. There's obviously not much of a sample size to really gauge the type of running here he is uh, in the NFL or the type of you know player he's going to be. I mean, he's just a sixth round pick, so there's really you know not much hype there. But when the Packers needed to rely on him, he stepped in and he did his job. He fumbled, I believe, earlier earlier this season. In, uh, I think it was against the Raiders, or it might have been in the preseason. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm getting old, and I'm only 24. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, Dexter Williams, I think, did, did a couple nice things. To compliment Aaron Jones, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's saying something that we get to the point with Aaron Jones when he has a game with 27 touches for 143 yards, and it's just like, ah, he was fine, you know, he was good. <laughs> you know, just just a normal 143-yard day for Aaron Jones, no big deal. Uh, that could have been better if there were a couple passes that were on target. Um, plus, he he took the, the hand-stepping on, and he took the absolute murder ball from Aaron Rodgers where – uh, Wilson just absolutely laid him out uh, on that oh, little yeah. bit of a wheel route as well. So uh, he he took some pain in that game, and he he kept coming back for more. Which that was always the question, you know. Well, he's a smaller back. Is he going to be able to take the pounding of a regular season with all these touches? Well, yeah, he can. And uh, he came back and he made the, the really one of the plays of the game at the end of the game to set up uh, the game-winning field goal. So he certainly deserves to be in that conversation as well. Uh, you mentioned one of your plays of the game earlier, the the big first down to to Alan Lazard to kind of keep that drive going. Of course, we already touched base on the, the David Blau INT. Any other plays, uh, the, the Devontae Adams touchdown where he just absolutely uh, drew two defenders into the uh, into the nether world, I think is probably fair to say, uh, was pretty amazing as well. Any other plays that stood out to you worth mentioning? Not at the moment with the, you know, without the benefit of a rewatch, obviously, but y- you mentioned that route. I mean, I didn't, I'm not on Twitter right now, obviously, but I did see Chad Johnson's tweet. <laughs> I don't know if you saw. He's but crying he's again. Yeah, he's crying again. Yeah, that was. It's, it's a funny guy, but yeah, that route was just absolutely disgusting. Uh, it was um, Ben Finnell that originally tweeted, and he just said, "Ew." Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. caption killed me, but yeah, the, the the route was just like that's expertise right there, and it's kind of what we've come to expect from Devontae Adams at this point. But yeah, without benefit of a rewatch, there aren't really too many plays I can kind of submit at the moment. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure a lot more will pop up. Yeah, C.D. Lamb, who uh, noted that he's coming out uh, in the draft, uh, also commented on that video, uh, as did a couple other receivers. I think uh, MVS, if I remember correctly, and there were a couple other Packers that uh, commented on Ben Fennell's tweet there, too. But uh, just a ridiculous route. Green Bay, and I did note this as well on Twitter, uh, Brian Bulaga did get away with a false start on that touchdown. He was about a half a second early 
and uh, did not get called, and uh, Green Bay probably got away with a little bit one there. There's probably no uh, probably about it. He definitely was early on the play. Uh, Bulaga times those up so incredibly well, and in real time, it, it's so close, but you, you slow it down, and, and he's a good tick early uh, on the jump on that play. So Green Bay did get out uh, to a little bit of a break there with uh, the Bulaga uh, false start that wasn't called, but uh, honestly, that Devontae Adams uh, route and catch uh, should not did not deserve to be called back anyway. So uh, I'm just going to say that it evened itself out and that uh, the referee just got caught up watching what Devontae was doing anyway and, and certainly couldn't be watching what Brian Bulaga was doing at the snap. So uh, definitely a big play in the game one way or the other. Uh, quickly, just to kind of uh, wind things down here, we still have quite a bit to talk about, but uh, injuries, uh, Brian Bulaga left with a concussion, of course. Corey Lindsley left with a back injury. Alan Lazard left with an ankle injury. And B.J. Goodson left left with a neck injury. All four did not come back. Um, you know, concussion, you never want to um, make any, uh, you know, assessments on a concussion or a head injury. You can, you just never know. And we saw Sam Shields have concussion injuries that went on forever, but more often than not, those are usually, uh, as long as it's a, a, you know, run of the mill, which still is probably not the right thing to say. Uh, most concussions are usually back within a week. You would think that he would have a good opportunity uh, to be back in two weeks, but again, you just never know with head injuries. Uh, Corey Lindsley, it sounded like he was going to be ready to be back in a couple weeks, so that's big news. I have not heard anything on Alan Lazard or B.J. Goodson, so those will absolutely be uh, a couple names to keep an eye on, especially the way Lazard is playing. But uh, Green Bay theoretically could, uh, if, if all those players do come back, it hasn't. we don't know of anything serious at this point, uh, could go into the playoffs insanely healthy, again, especially if those four players are able to come back. Yeah, and throughout the season, they've managed to stay upright. Like, they have been, like, the healthiest, one of the healthiest teams in the league, and I have not seen a Packers team this healthy in a very long time. So for them to, if you know, those are the only four injuries we're talking about going into, into January, and obviously, like you said, we don't know really the extent of any of these injuries. Um, like, that's, that, that's huge right there in itself, because that's more than, a lot of these playoff teams can say that's more than the Eagles can say, more than the 49ers can say. Granted, they are getting more uh, a little healthier right around this time of the year. D Ford is coming back at some point during the playoffs, presumably. But, yeah, the fact that they have just been this healthy all season long, you know, really no major... You know, no major injuries to this team and the starters. I mean, they have been intact. The, the offensive line has been intact for a majority of the year. It's it, it's huge, you know. It, it, it's huge going into this time of the year just just to be this healthy and really have no major concerns injury wise. Granted, you know, assuming that these four injuries don't really you know nag or carry over into you know two weeks from now. Yeah, and, and time will tell. And they have nice you know the nice thing to know is that they have two weeks to heal up those injuries, so that'll come in very handy. That's but huge. all yeah, all four injuries will certainly be worth monitoring. Speaking of playoffs, of course, uh, now that the regular season is done, we have the official playoff seeding. Uh, San Francisco gets the one seed in the NFC, followed by Green Bay as the two, New Orleans as the three, Philadelphia as the four, Seattle as the five, and Minnesota as the six. In the AFC, Baltimore gets the one, Kansas City gets the two, New England at three, Houston at four, Buffalo at five, and Tennessee at six. We also know a couple other pieces of information. Uh, next week, Buffalo will open the playoffs at Houston in the 335 window uh, on Saturday, and then Tennessee will play at New England uh, Saturday night. 
Uh, the Sunday noon game will be Minnesota at New Orleans, and then Seattle at Philadelphia will be the 340 game on Sunday uh, afternoon. So that is the slate of games for next Sunday. Uh, there's a lot to take away from kind of that playoff seeding. As far as who Green Bay could potentially play, we know it's one of three teams. We know that it'll either be New Orleans, Philadelphia, or Seattle. And basically how it works is if New Orleans wins their game against Minnesota in New Orleans at home noon on Sunday, if New Orleans wins that game, they will come to Lambeau and face Green Bay in Green Bay uh, on Sunday night. They did announce that it's going to be the Sunday night game the following week at about 5 p.m., uh, 4 or 5 p.m. I forget which one it is. I couldn't. I didn't see if it was Eastern or Central time, but either 4 or 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. And then uh, if, if New Orleans were to lose that game next week, Uh, then they would face the winner of Philadelphia and Seattle in the same time slot uh, again Sunday late afternoon uh, again in two weeks from now. So that's kind of the scenario. A lot to take in with some of those matchups. But again, I think the big takeaway here, Zach, is we know it's going to be either New Orleans, Philadelphia, or Seattle. What are you thinking uh, about the the playoff seeding? What are you thinking about Green Bay's chances? And what are your big takeaways from uh, from what we now know to be the playoff seeding uh, heading into next week? I'm obviously exuberating confidence right now because the the last place anybody wants to play in January is at Lambeau Field. Now, next to that, the very, very, very last place anybody wants to play in January is at Lambeau Field in the nighttime, which I, I believe it was 540 Central Time Sunday night. So okay. that, that is, yeah, that, that is like, that, that's going to be a night game, and it is going to be extremely cold. And, I mean, if, if the Saints get there, like, if the Saints beat the Vikings in that in that opening round, New Orleans has to come to Green Bay. I don't know if I trust Drew Brees in that weather. A guy who has made a living, you know, his living since 2006, since coming to the Saints in a dome. You know, I, I, I'm not sure, I you know, I, I would put a lot of stock in, in, in the Saints. Now, if the Vikings beat the Saints and, you know, one of either the Eagles or the Seahawks comes to Green Bay... <laughs> Yeah, look, that that that's that's just going to be tough. I mean, the Eagles are responsible for the Packers' only home loss this season. They're seven and one at home this year. They lost that Monday night game to Philly. If the Eagles got to come to Green Bay, I like the Packers' chances of kind of you know defending their their home field in the playoffs. Seahawks, you never know what you're going to get with them. The Packers, they play really well against against the Seahawks at home uh, at Lambeau Field in general. Uh, you know, in, in, in recent memory, so I, I just think. No matter what, no matter which way that opening round swings and whoever the Packers end up hosting in the divisional round, I like their chances just because of that, that home field advantage for, for, for that game and just the, the weather. It's, that's why it was just so important for the Packers to win their division. Obviously, everything else took care of itself for them to get that number two seed, but it was so important for them to win their division and just get that one home playoff game, whether it was in the wild card or the divisional round, just getting that one playoff game, and it just it it, it, it exceeds the chances of of being able to win and getting out of that first round and and, and it just gets it kind of gets your feet under you for the playoffs you know it helps you gain a little more confidence going into the next round it just it, you get your sea legs under you your your playoff sea legs and the packers they're going to have that week off obviously i hope it's not like a like a 2011 situation where they rest of their starters in week 17 and then they come they they have that first round bye and they come out flat against the giants in the divisional round and and you know they're 15 and 1 it was just like the biggest upset obviously it's not it's a very similar situation considering they didn't rest their starters in week 17 but they will have that week off yes it's more time to prepare it's more time to to you know 
kind of get acclimated to the playoff environment and, you know, what their matchup is going to be. But it's also that week off and a week to collect rust and a week to kind of really, you know, feel, you know, hopefully not get complacent. But they know what they're playing for. They don't know who they're going to be playing yet, but ooh, there, there are a lot of ways this could shake up. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think this playoff is going to be phenomenal. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Seattle's favored at Philadelphia. If that's the case and the favorites would win next week, talk about some absolutely insane divisional round games. You would have Seattle at San Francisco, uh, basically a, a rematch of two phenomenal games that took place this year between those two teams. Uh, you would have New Orleans and Drew Brees going to Lambeau and facing Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Uh, so Brees versus uh, Rodgers in Green Bay, Sunday night football at Lambeau would be epic. You would end up with Houston at Baltimore. So Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson, if you've had an opportunity to follow their college careers and uh, what they've done against each other, that would be another really fun matchup. And then, of course, New England versus Kansas City with Brady versus Mahomes and uh, that epic matchup. So, uh, so some potential for some really epic matchups, of course. Uh, the, the playoffs never exactly go according to plan, and, and I'm sure things will uh, get you know a little bit crazy starting next week, but it is, it is for sure going to be one hell of a ride, and whoever Green Bay plays, whether it's New Orleans, Philly, or Seattle, should be a really fun, really interesting game Sunday night at Lambeau. I can't wait. I can't believe they have uh, the two seed. They're going to be playing at home, coming off of a bye. What an opportunity, and uh, it's going to be a really, really fun playoff run for Green Bay, hopefully uh, more than just one game, and uh, a lot to come and a lot to wait and see still. Um, a couple other things I did want to touch on today, Zach. Uh, Green Bay did reach some some milestones today. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did hit 4,000 yards passing. Aaron Jones did hit 1,000 yards rushing. He did come one touchdown shy of that 20-touchdown uh, team record held by Amon Green. And then uh, Devontae Adams is cursed at 997 for the second time in a few years. <laughs> Falls just short of 1,000 yards. Of course, this time uh, very much due to him missing a few games. But uh, he comes just shy of 1,000 yards. But uh, certainly some milestones that were, were met there. Uh, any other uh, thoughts about uh, some of the, the milestones or some of the, the numbers that Green Bay put together this year? No, I, I think it's great that Aaron Rodgers hit 4,000 yards and didn't just come up a little bit shy. I mean, it's going to... I can't imagine how Devontae Adams feels, but it's going to haunt me, the fact that he has 997 for the <laughs> second time. I think the last time he did it was 2016. He was just about three yards shy. And, you know, this time, obviously, he missed those the, that, that month of that month of football in October. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he's still... He's still a 1,000-yard receiver in my book. <laughs> Whether he's at 997 or 1,001, I, I do not care. He is a 1,000-yard receiver. Um, yeah, and it's it's also really nice to see Aaron Jones hit 1,000 yards, too, just because he, if anyone deserves it, it's him. He, I mean, the guy went through everything being, I don't want to say mishandled, but you know, he, he didn't see the workload that he deserved under the previous uh, regime with Mike McCarthy. He's finally getting all all this work now. He's a receipt, he's a threat in the passing game. He's getting just a, a huge amount of carries each week. Aaron Jones hitting a thousand yards, I think, is my favorite out of out of those three milestones that you mentioned. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. Um, I actually just saw this posted uh, on ESPN as we're recording here. They just posted the odds to win uh, the Super Bowl. 
Uh, Baltimore is currently the favorite at plus 200, followed by Kansas City at plus 300, San Fran at plus 350, then New Orleans at plus 500, and then Green Bay at plus 700, uh, coming ahead of Seattle, New England, Buffalo, Houston, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and Tennessee in last. So they have Green Bay as the fifth most likely team uh, to win the Super Bowl and the third in the NFC behind San Francisco and New Orleans. So that's certainly uh, an interesting takeaway there. Um, that just got posted. Uh, what and that was kind of leads well into my next question. What does Green Bay need to do? What's the one thing in your mind that they need to do to make a serious run at this Super Bowl? It's kind of what I mentioned earlier. Aaron Rodgers has to be better. He has to turn it on in the playoffs, like he like he normally does. He missed a lot of open targets in the Detroit. He had the career high twenty eight incompletions. He just needs to be more consistent with his throws, and he needs he needs to trust his guys. You know, if if the Packers are going to get to where they want to be, this game plan of just you know, you know, it, it, it's really hard because they went they got to thirteen and three by all these guys contributing. They were finding ways to win. Look, they need to be more consistent offensively. I don't think it gets much clearer than that. Aaron Rodgers needs to be better. He needs to hit on some of the throws. And everything they did in the second half against the Lions, he was taking what the defense was giving him. He was hitting a lot of checkdowns. He was just, he was working the pocket a lot better. He was trusting his protection as well, which I think was huge. He needs to get back to doing that but for a full four quarters. We saw them fall behind in San Francisco 23-0 to at halftime. They had 35 yards of total offense in, in the first half against the Chargers in L.A. Like, they're going to be playing good football teams, not the Lions in the playoffs. They're not going to be down, you know, a couple touchdowns at halftime and, you know, be able to storm back in the second half. Like, they need to be consistent offensively. Teams aren't going to let them, like, the good teams aren't going to let them come back in January. Okay, so that's just that, that's just huge. The second half surge may work against lesser opponents, but I don't see that working in January. So that's going to be a huge factor of the, you know for the package if they want to get to where they want to go. Yeah, that that 100% seems correct. For me it's just it's really putting everything together and that's kind of been the one thing they haven't been able to do yet. We've seen Aaron Rodgers go through stretches this season, oddly enough through the time where Devontae Adams was out where he was hitting everything. He had some 400-yard games, some 300-yard, you know, games and and really looked like, you know, peak Aaron Rodgers. We've seen that. We've seen Devontae Adams go absolutely off. The Philadelphia game was a great example of that. He had some really big catches again in this game in Detroit. We know what he's capable of. We've seen Aaron Jones be phenomenal really all season long, but he he has every capability in the world of going off at any given moment. We've seen the tight ends rotate in, and, and maybe not an individual player really step up and be great, but we've seen that unit collectively uh, be able to do what they need to do. We've seen Alan Lazard come up and, and really be a strong number two option. We've seen MVS at times be a deep threat. We've seen this offensive line go through really good stretches of pass protection as well as really good uh, stretches of run blocking, and, and certainly through the course of the last month, month plus, we've seen this defense play at an incredibly high level and, uh, and really show that they can pressure with three or four players and disrupt any offense. So it hasn't happened altogether. Plus, now they have a returner in, in Tyler Irvin. We've seen Mason Crosby have a great year. We've seen J.K. Scott. You know, he's had his ups and downs as well, but when he's on, he's one of the best punters in the league and can really switch field position. It hasn't ever, to this point yet, all come together for one game. They've had two games where everything's really kind of fallen apart. 
against both uh, the Chargers and the 49ers, but they have not had uh, games where everything's worked together. And if, if they can get everything working in unison, it is a massively, massively dangerous football team. And you're spot on and correct where that starts with number 12. And if he gets going, he can cover really a lot of other things. But take what the offense is giving, play within the, the you know scheme of the offense. And uh, I, I think there's a lot to be done there. And that's really what they did when Devontae was out and they had a ton of success with it. Uh, but now it's just putting all of those things together. And they got two weeks to, to figure that out. I really would have loved to see that be a, a game against Detroit where they kind of had kind of their aha, where they put everything together for 60 minutes and went out and, and won big, but they didn't. But they got away with the win, and that's still been their M.O., but I, I think that's the one thing that's holding them back is just kind of putting that full game together, and hopefully they'll be able to do that uh, come playoff time because if so, uh, there, there's nobody that can beat them if they do that. I, I firmly, firmly believe that. but. Uh, certainly time will tell. Um, just I, a really I, quick – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I do want to say, too, that Jimmy Graham drop at the very beginning of the game against the Lions, I feel like that would have changed the entire course of the game, and we would be having a completely different discussion about the way this game went because I, I, I think Graham was gone for a touchdown if he caught that. Like, that was Aaron Rodgers coming out slinging that football with confidence, and I'm just touching on this because I, I completely blanked on it earlier. I didn't get to bring it up, but – yeah, if, if Rodgers and Graham connect on that, he, he's gone. Like that, that, that's, that's a touchdown, and the entire course of this game is, is, is altered. Yeah, and there's just so there's a there's a lot of plays like that that were a degree off, and it, just a, an inch here, yeah. an inch there, a, a catch here, a, you know, whatever the case may be. The Tremont Williams dropped interception. Uh, just mm-hmm. there's just a degree off for so much of the game. And again, give credit to Green Bay for winning a game where they, they were what like a, a D plus level today. I mean, legitimately, like legitimately, they played like D plus football, and they came away with a win on the road in the division. Granted, against a poor team and uh, against a team that didn't have really anything to play for, and, and really came uh, away with a lot of injuries in this game. We're on a third-string quarterback, so uh, you know, only give them so much credit, I guess, but they, they did not have anything close to their, their A-plus level football, and they still came away with a win, but I think that Jimmy Graham one as well was certainly something that changed the outcome. Um, I just want to get your, your last thoughts uh, on a couple of these things. We do know a couple things now, now that the, the 2019 regular season is opened, or is closed, I should say. We do know that in 2020, uh, Green Bay at home will face Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, Atlanta, Carolina, Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Philadelphia. On the surface, that doesn't seem like a, a super tough uh, home schedule, Um Really, only Philadelphia will be a, a playoff, and Minnesota, excuse me, Minnesota and Philadelphia will be the only teams uh, that are in the playoffs that they'll face at home next year. Away, they go to Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Houston, Indianapolis, and San Francisco. So certainly a much tougher road schedule, including four uh, playoff teams, including Minnesota, New Orleans, Houston, and San Francisco. So having to face San Francisco and New Orleans on the road, certainly uh, probably not great, although I guess maybe there's an outside chance that Drew Brees retires. Who knows? But uh, that that's going to be a very tough road schedule. And then uh, lastly, we also know uh, at least a, a better idea of where Green Bay will pick in the 2020 draft. Of course, we're hoping that they're going to be picking 32nd overall, but the very highest they could pick uh, if they would lose in the in the divisional round um, and actually get some help, um, they could pick as high as 26th and, of course, as low as 32nd. So somewhere between 26th and 32nd is where they will be picking next year in the draft. Any thoughts on opponents or draft position? Well, that's a, that's a favorable home schedule. I think Tennessee was another playoff team, by the way. I think they're oh, facing you're right, at home. you're right. Yeah, so three, three at home. 
it, you know, Aaron Rodgers says it all the time. You got to take care of your business at home. You got to win your home games. That guarantees you eight wins. And, you know, steal a couple on the road. I mean, I don't like the fact that they're going to New Orleans because they have horrible luck in New Orleans. They went there in 2008, got destroyed. They went there in 2014, got destroyed. And I think that was the game where Rodgers uh, uh, tweaked his, uh, his his calf, and that kind of lingered for the remainder of the season. He re-aggravated, I believe, against Tampa Bay that year. But either way, it, it's a favorable home slate, and you just got to win a couple on, on, on the road, get the 10 wins. Presum- uh, presumably those that'll be a couple division games. It, it, and we have no idea how these teams are going to upgrade in the offseason or how different they're going to look. Or like you said, if Drew Brees is going to retire, you know, maybe maybe the Saints go out on top in February and Drew Brees goes, all right, I'm done. I'm going to call it quits. You know, and, you know, who knows? But, yeah, I, I really I really like that favorable home slate uh, so far. Not not a big fan of the road schedule. Yeah, no, it's going to be a, a tough schedule, and there's certainly some playoff teams on there that they're going to have to overcome. But like you said, win your home games, pick off a couple of those uh, three, you know, three or four wins on the road, and, and they certainly have the capability of doing that. They're going to have a lot of money to spend in the in, in free agency potentially. Uh, they're you know they still have Brian Gutekunst drafting for them, so uh, they're going to be able to put some pieces together. They're going to have a, a lot of key yep. players coming back, so it'll be a very fun 2020. But we've uh, we've got uh, an end of the 2019 season to worry about first, of course, uh, before we get to any of that. And we have 365 days of podcasting to get to all that other stuff as time goes on. Uh, this was great. There's obviously a ton to talk about today. We learned a lot of different things about who they'll be playing going forward, uh, how they played against Detroit. Uh, any other final thoughts uh, on this season, on their future, on today's games? Uh, anything else at all that's percolating on your mind, Zach? Honestly, I think we touched on everything that we possibly could. I mean, uh, we're going to uncover a lot more throughout the week, just about, just about their performance against the Lions, about their their odds going into January. So who really knows right now? But no, other than uh, this was great. <laughs> Yeah, this was great. We covered a lot. Hopefully everyone listening uh, enjoyed our, our quest through all that kind of happened throughout the course of today and all the different things that we learned. Um, you know, one other thing that I will, a couple other things that I'll notice as we exit here, uh, the Packers 13 wins this season uh, matched their 13 wins from the last two seasons combined. So uh, last two seasons combined, 13 wins, uh, this season alone, 13 wins. So not not too bad of a, a rookie performance for Matt LaFleur, I guess, all things considered and uh, can go one up with a win against uh, whoever they play in the divisional round uh, come a couple weeks from now. Uh, And then last but not least, this is not Packers related at all, but just the most perfect end to a a season. Uh, Jameis Winston throws his 30th interception uh, on the very last play of the season on a pick six in overtime. Uh, It was just an amazing season for Jameis Winston. Uh, led uh, Led all quarterbacks in yards. I think was second in touchdowns, first in interceptions. Uh, one of the first quarterback ever to join the 30-30 club, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Uh, that's just an, an amazing stat. And to hit your 30th interception on literally the last play of the season when you throw a pick six in overtime for the other team to win the game is just the most epic way uh, for a season to end and, and to get a, a statistic like that. So it was the fitting way for the Tampa Bay Bucks season to end and a crazy way for, for Jameis Winston to go into the 30-30 club as the, the lone member of that club. I remember Brett Favre threw 29 in 2005, so that's a... Uh, I mean, if you, if you beat one of Brett Favre's personal records, then I guess that's uh, that's something. 
I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. And Tampa Bay is going to have a very interesting decision on, on Jameis coming up as well. So uh, lots and lots and lots to look forward to. Zach, thank you so much for your time this evening. This was phenomenal. I know everyone's going to be able to uh, dig in and kind of listen to this and, again, kind of go through all the all the different things that we learned through the course of today. Uh, as Zach mentioned earlier, please make sure to, to kind of pound it here on the Pack-A-Day podcast for the rest of the week. Uh, there's just so much to cover. There, you know, Everyone's going to be breaking down uh, the game against Detroit, kind of what's coming up uh, in the playoffs moving forward. We'll break down the playoff games this week. So uh, this is a a really big time. You're definitely going to want to be tuning in every day and kind of getting all the different insights uh, throughout, uh, throughout the week and throughout next week as well as we start preparing for that divisional round game. Thank you all so much for an incredible year. This has been an amazing uh, 13-3 season for the Packers throughout 2019 as we turn the page over to 2020. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Have a safe and happy new year. For Zach Jacobson, I'm Andy Herman. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. And until then, go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.